stepping to the mic, head coach of the reigning national champions for an extra year, Tony Bennett, uh, UVA men's basketball coach. And is it odd to hear that from someone like me considering the NCAA tournament was canceled? So you are the last champions, even though there wasn't a tournament this year. Uh, your team was hot. You had eight straight wins going into uh, play, looking for forward to the NCAA tournament and defending your title. But is it odd to hear reigning champions for another year because we didn't have March Madness. It was very odd, but I'm glad at least it's us. So I guess you take it. I don't, they haven't sent another trophy. I don't think I'm getting that in the mail, but uh, no, such a unique ending. And um, you're right. You know, I, I don't know if our, our ball club wasn't as good as the previous year in some ways, um, but I don't think college basketball was quite the same because of the turnover but I think we were really dangerous, and I think we could have beat anybody as, as anybody could beat, your, beat you, you know that. But I was excited because of the role we were on. We were healthy, playing good basketball. And that, that tournament comes down to matchups, being healthy and playing at, at good basketball. So I think it would have been very intriguing. And, um, you know, what a run from last year and the, the experience we had. I think our guys, as most, were excited to get into it. Well, we can get into how great of a job you've done as a coach at UVA over the past decade, but I want to talk about your playing career. Okay, first and foremost, when I looked up how great of a shooter you were, TJ, did you know that coach still holds the record for the highest three-point percentage in NCAA history at 49.7? Were you aware of that? Chris, that's probably the worst kept secret in all of Charlottesville. We know <laughs> Coach Bennett is a gifted, I mean, gifted marksman from beyond the three-point line. So we talked when you first got the job, Coach, I think it was, what, 12 years ago at this point, about your legendary shootouts when you were a member of the Charlotte Hornets with Dell Curry. So you guys would shoot 103 pointers after practice, and you bested one of the best shooters of all time a few times. But tell us, how many shots out of 100 did you have to hit to beat Del Curry in a shooting contest in his days with the Hornets? You got a good memory, Chris, and I'll probably embellish. And you get older and those numbers go up. But 99.9. He was special. That was one of the greatest. When he was on a roll, I think I'd put him up against anybody shooting the ball. But, yeah, after we just do a little shooting betting game. But it was consistently we would both hit out of 100 NBA threes. And, again, it was just shoot anywhere – mid-80s to low-90s, you know, it's just consistent. You make 85, hot one, 90, 91, 92. You just you get in that. And I'm sure guys, some guys can do that. But uh, he, uh, you know, it's great. You know, his sons were around. These little guys just floating around practicing. Who knew that they'd be so special and obviously stepping. I mean, did you have any indication of that, seeing them that young? They were two of the cutest kids that I've ever seen, but no clue. <laughs> no clue at all. You know, they are – I mean, Dell was good, but they're both more athletic than Dell. Dell wasn't a great athlete. He was a good athlete. He had some things, but they um, they must have gotten his wife's quick twitch stuff. <laughs> well, speaking of great father-son relationships, um, your dad, Dick, led a program at uh, University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, that, you know, they weren't very good when he got there. And then he led them to NCAA tournament appearances. You played for him as well. How did he influence you in your ability to turn the UVA program around? Uh, tell us about the lessons you learned from his experiences as a coach. Yeah, I was really fortunate because I watched my dad, and I never thought I was going to get into coaching, but I watched him. He would go to programs that were really at the bottom of the barrel, and he always had a rebuild. 
and I watched him do it. You know, I played for him at Wisconsin Green Bay. It happened. He had to do that at Wisconsin. They had only been to one NCAA tournament in 50 years. And then he got there, and then they went to four in a row in a final four. Then when he came out of retirement and did it at Washington State. And I think when you can watch that firsthand as a player and then a coach and then as an assistant with him, that's invaluable. If all you've experienced is success, 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 sometimes you don't realize you know, how stubborn you have to be, how set in what you want to do, how you have to take some arrows <laughs> from people, and you got to stay true to what you believe, and also the just the way in which you got to fight through losses and building, and that is worth its weight in gold, um, and I think you rely on that. So I watched him do that. I watched him, you know, his humility through it, his wisdom, and, um, you know, if I never experienced that, I think I would have not. I would have strayed from what I thought was the right way and probably succumbed to what you know, popular opinion was, or this is how you got to do it. And I think that was, again, so valuable. Coach, you've had some fantastic guys play for you over the years, and I know they've meant so much to you. When you think about the culmination of what happened last year and uh, the players that you had play for you, talk about what you felt for those guys who, you know, that were not able to make it to the big dance, the final four, you know, we can all look back at the Syracuse game as that heartbreaking uh, moment for a lot of your, 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 your players during that time. And obviously us as alumni uh, talk about what those guys have meant to you when it all came down to winning the big, the big show. Yeah. Well, Ted, you did a great job when you were the color commentator with Dave Kane and kind of, following us and I think you've been with us through some great highs and great lows in that process you know I, I think about this and it's such so much bigger than an NCAA tournament or sports what's going on in our society and with this um the COVID-19 but you know if this were a year ago I was just trying to put my head around that you know if we didn't get a chance if Ty Kyle Dre that group let's say we lost to UMBC we had the great year okay we were ready to see what we could do and try to bounce back. And what if the NCAA tournament would have been canceled? I mean, that would have been hard. And you wouldn't be saying reigning national champs. You'd be saying reigning uh, first team ever who was a one seed that got beat by the 16 seed. That's what you'd be saying, Chris. And you introduced me. No, you wouldn't say that or I wouldn't be on the show. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think um, – so I think of that and I say, well, for Momdy and Braxton, who left a legacy were amazing, and I think we were playing good – they did get to experience a national championship. You know, they, they have that. And I know how hard it was for the young guys who didn't get to go to the tournament for the first time or Momedy and Braxton. But fortunately, what they got to experience the previous year was great. So you look at San Diego State, Dayton, um, Baylor, some of these teams that haven't had a chance to get to be a one seed or get to a national final four. And that's hard for those seniors because sometimes those – those programs or times only come around ever so often. When we got beat to Syracuse in the Elite Eight, you know, I remember thinking, am I ever going to get this chance? Because it takes a lot of things happening. I remember Coach Beheim shook my hand, and I was numb. We were up big. We fell apart. They played great. It was a combination. Um, and he shook my hand after the game in Chicago and said, your time will come. I know it doesn't seem like it's Tony, your time will come. And then I fast forward to last year where scrimmage him. Villanova, we do a closed-door scrimmage, and um, we scrimmage Villanova, and this was before the season started. This was after the UMBC game. We hadn't won the title. We scrimmaged at JPJ, and we were walking out, and, and Jay writes, Tony, come here, and he said, I, he said, tell your assistants, come here. 
He's like, no matter what anybody says, stick to your plan. He said, you've been one of the best basketball teams for the last six years in college basketball. Yes, I know. He said, I faced this where we had some early round exits. I hit, get all that. He said, stay true to it. He said, it's enough. And I think you can do it. You know, and I remember that he said that at the time, I'm like, boy, I hope you're right, coach. Thank you. Means a lot. And, you know, now you look back on it from the rear view mirror and you're like, it was important to go through all of that. And you got to stay true to it. So it's a long answer, but those things of building, going through tragic losses um, are tough. And that doesn't, you know, and again, I feel for those guys that didn't get the chance for some of those other programs that were, this was their time. When Coach Wright says that you were one of the best programs over the past six years, I, I did actually take a look at some of the records and the fact that when you took the job at UVA, they only had one 30-win season in the previous 30 years. They also only had one 20-win season in the previous 20 years. Well, you've had 20-win seasons in four of the last six, and I believe in your 30-win seasons, you've had four of them as well. Um, just tell me, how does it? How fulfilling is it to have that sustained success? Not just winning the national title, but like Coach Wright said to you, hey, you've been doing it at this level for a few years. You're going to break through. Um, how fulfilling is that to, to have these guys coming in and out of the program every year to know we're competing for the NCAA tournament, for Final Fours, for Elite Eights, and possible national championships? Yeah, I think the, the rap on us was, can they get to a Final Four? We had done everything. We've won four regular season ACC championships, two conference tournament titles. Um, we've been a one seed three or four times. And so, you know, right or wrong, society or basketball society puts so much, it's the NCAA tournament. What are you doing? it? And I think, you know, it's a little unfortunate because the true test of the best teams are over the longevity, perhaps, three months, you're playing 30 games, you're on the road, half of them in conference play. And so those things matter. And you take great value in that. But it was that can you advance in the tournament enough? And then you know, you lose to UMBC and that happens. But one of the reasons I came to UVA um, was, you know, I remember looking through the media guy when they sent it, and I was thinking about it, has there been some great players, Ted, yourself, great programs, moments, Ralph's era, um, Coach Jones, other ones where they've had really good moments, but I, I'll say, can, can there be, there, there weren't a lot of, you know, above 500 wins in ACC play, and some of it's because it's different times, um, and those wins, and I respect everyone that went for me, but can we build at a school that I fit, the academic prowess, and in the ACC, can we build a sustainable, successful program? Can we do that? That was kind of the challenge, because I thought there was room for, you know, to sustain it, so that was the challenge. I wasn't sure if we could do it, but I always thought UVA had the ability to be a sleeping giant with the facilities, the people, the conference, the academics, if you could find the right guys. And so much of that credit, almost all of it goes to the players. You know, they're better than people ever thought and they develop. My staff, the guys that recruited them, the people involved in our program, I get that. I mean, I think I always say it, coaches get too much credit probably when it goes well. <laughs> and probably too much blame when it goes bad. I mean, there's a, sort of a a mid air, a middle ground there. So I think that stuff. Um, yeah, it's there's a proverb I love. I, I quoted it at our banquet after our championship banquet. It says, "A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul." And so you know to be able to to do what this program did, but especially last year, it's very satisfying and sweet to the soul. But then it's never forgotten. But it's kind of 
I don't want to say it's gone, but it's you move on and you realize but if that's all I'm defined by is when we win a championship, now I'm on top of it. No. Or if I'm only defined when we're kicked at the bottom and it's gone bad, no way. I mean, you can even see that watching even at the last dance and seeing, you know, you win these things and it's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. And um, you, you have to enjoy the competition. Try to get there. But there better be more going on than just that stuff. And I think I've learned that over the years and I've been taught that the hard way. Coach, with that championship now, is there a new level of expectation to say, you know what, this is what, because as a head coach, when you take the job, you hear a lot of coaches say, you know, I'm here to win championships. And you've done that. You've won conference championships. You've won, you know, the, 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 the biggest of all, the NCAA you know, tournament championship. Does that now set a new standard for expectation when you take the court every year? Well, I think the expectations ever since have always been very high here. And, you know, um, you know, you hope once you taste a national championship, you're kind of like, whew, once you get to the Final Four, like, you know, that's what I think it, the world, basketball world sort of stops. You got 75, 80,000 people and just that. It's like a fairy tale. It's why I kind of got into coaching. I went to – never thought I was really going to coach – Joined my dad's staff at Wisconsin because I knew he was getting close to retiring. I volunteered as a, like a manager after my NBA career. I was like, I just want to finish my dad's career out with him, and who knows what I'll end up doing. And they went to the Final Four that year, and I was captivated by that run and just how it was. And it was almost like, I hope I can build a program that can do that. And, you know, and then once you do it and you taste it, it's great in its proper perspective. Um, standards are high, but – there has to be more. You have to love the coaching. You have to love the relationships um, and just trying to max out a team and put it together. I think that has to drive you, of course, trying to win it. But um, it's, it's interesting. You can chase, you chase something that you think you get, you get it, and then it, uh, it's not there. I had a friend who I said it's like cotton candy. Tastes good. It's sweet. goes in your mouth. It dissolves. It's gone. All you do is you want it more. You want it more. And again, balance and perspective. But it almost frees you up to compete and go after it harder, but I think clearer and better to win championships and do that. But I think you can get confused if you start relying on all the, I got to do this, I got to do that. I think it can take you away from what you can give to the players and being the best team you can be if that consumes you the wrong way. Coach, having experience in the NBA as well as being a four-year college player, did you ever think of coaching in the NBA, and, and why did you choose to, to pursue the path of co coaching in college? Yeah, um, I do think um, this is an interesting quote. I'd be curious for you guys to weigh in on this. You know, my father, high school coach, small college, mid-major, high major, and he loves watching the NBA. He always says this to me, and I've said it actually to some NBA players, and I'm curious. He said, the NBA has the players, no question, but college still has the game. And, you know, and I know NBA players and coaches would probably disagree, but I think there's some truth to that. And I'm not dogging the NBA because the playoffs are as good as it gets. But there's only, I mean, when you play 48 minutes for 82 games, not counting the preseason, it's just there's stuff there. But there's a purity in some ways in the college game, different systems, different styles. You don't always have, you got to rely on a little more of the, and some NBA teams do it, you know, moving the ball, relying on your team defense. And I think that draws me to the college game. Now, can that be replicated in the NBA? Perhaps it's a different game. They're different games, some similarities. And I love the NBA 
playoffs. Um, so I was always drawn to that. It's what I knew. Um, but, um, you know, you never say never or anything. I respect because I think some of the minds of NBA coaches out of timeout, sideline out of bounds, the way they manage. Watching Phil Jackson manage the Chicago Bulls in the last dance. Yes, the triangle offense. Yes, his motivation. But having to, like, balance it. I mean, first, that stuff would never happen in college. But that was masterful to me. So it's a different, it's a different kind of deal. And uh, it takes great, you know, great humility, great wisdom to do all that. But college, I think there's a, in the right way, uh, um, maybe a bit more uh, influence. Um, but maybe guys are more moldable. And I think you can have opportunities to do things. You don't have to worry as much maybe about making sure that, hey, this guy, you know, this guy makes more than me or this guy's agent's not going to give me this guy if I don't, you know, some of that stuff's at play. Let's keep it real, you know. Right, and right. I think it's not quite as much like that. Well, it's it's not like that in college, although <laughs> it's getting that way. So <laughs> Maybe not with your players, Coach. We'll just, we'll say that. <laughs> no comment. Um, but no, to, to that point that you're making about the, the difference in uh, having to follow NBA games all the time, it just seems as if the coaches are managing these situations but like you said in your situation you're managing the game more i think that's that's kind of what you're saying to us right in some ways and i like i said i, I know brad stevens well unbelievable billy diamond guys that were in college that have done it and i think it's all basketball and they're managing things but there's just certain things that they have to be willing to deal with and go with and you know where can you have impact and what can you do and what do you enjoy i mean the nba is great in some ways but there's also things that are out of your control that can take you out of the equation Coach, you talk about things that are out of your control. I'm going to harken you back to the previous year. You had one of the toughest losses in, in, in your uh, career, but, you know, it'll be talked about for years to come, unfortunately. You guys did a fantastic job, and as a proud alumni, how you guys embraced that moment and took charge of it. I remember Kyle Guy talking about, there's no need to apologize to asking us a question about the UMBC game. We've accepted it, and now we're moving forward. That was probably the impetus of this ride that you guys had, this magical ride. And I, I, I'm hesitant to use the word uh, destiny, you know, because it, it, it just seems to cheapen it a little bit. You guys experienced something more. And I want to ask you about a quick story that, what your wife shared with you after that game. Um, there were some very poignant words that she had for you after that game. And it talks to your faith that you are not ashamed to talk about and, and you wear it on your sleeve and you do a great job of um, weaving it all in. Can you share that story with us? It's probably a week or two after and I was pretty gutted. I mean, I understood the, that it didn't define, but I was gutted. And I remember my wife said, I know you might not agree with me or think of it this way, but she said, um, in a way, she said, you kind of, you got a chance to suffer and still be true and faithful to what matters most to you. You know, you were kind of kind of worthy to suffer a little bit in the basketball world's eyes and be humbled, but yet still be faithful to your faith in the Lord, which is the most important thing to you. And I respect where everybody's at different places, but your relationship to your family, she's like, that's no small thing. And she said, if you can endure that and suffer, kind of lose well, suffer well, she said, there's something bigger going on. And she said, so in a way, it's a, you know, I kind of always started referring to it as a painful gift. And there's no question, Ted, I think without that loss, one, we wouldn't have as good of a story, but I don't think 
I don't think we would have won a national championship. Who can say for sure? We always use that quote from the, the TED talk. It wasn't your talk, Ted. I'd love to give you credit for this quote, but if you learn to use it right, adversity, it will buy you a ticket to a place you couldn't have gone any other way. And I think because of that, what's transpired, for me, for me, it grew me in my faith. It grew me, it, I grew in my relationship with my, my family, my team, the way we communicated. It had a burning, I mean, I wanted to win a national championship so bad. I wanted to coach better. I wanted to answer that. And that was important, but it also freed me up in a way to say, you know what? If I never coach a team to a final four, if I get fired someday, I'll be okay because I realize my faith in the Lord is first and foremost and my relationship with my wife and children stand far above that. And so it freed me up to say, I'm going after this and I'm free and I can't get dogged any worse. You know, you can't, I mean, I guess you, well, when the Gardner Webb game, I'm like, here we go. We might be the second team and it'll be us again to lose as a one seed. But I don't think we win the national championship without that. And it wouldn't taste as sweet, even though you have that, that story is unlike anything. And so that was really cool. I remember her having, her having the insight to say, this is a good thing. Doesn't feel like that. And I was like, huh? <laughs> but <that's right. laughs> Coach, down the stretch, I would have to say, and it felt like to a lot of us, that there was divine intervention. When you think <laughs> about those games, Mamadi's incredible shot when it was passed from Kihei Clark, you, the, the battle that you guys had with Purdue, oh. the, the free throws and the foul before the three free throws that went, the game was literally over if this guy doesn't, unless he makes a shot without getting fouled, right? Yeah. But it, it was an incredible string of games that just seemed like you guys, it was the Lord had his hands on you. And <laughs> of, of course, everybody will say that, that that God wears orange and blue during that season. <laughs> but uh, it just seemed like that was, you know, there was a little extra special something on that tournament run. Yeah, I mean, you can say, well, why did that happen the year before? And where was the Lord in that year? Well, he was right there. He was no different in that moment against UMBC than when we won. And, and you know, I think what was so unique is, you know, three games in a row. And what I loved is we played high-level basketball in all three of those games. And, yes, you need good fortune, divine intervention, whatever you call it, great play. But the, the majority of the play was really good. And, and then some of those plays. But to have it happen. And nobody – I'll tell you, the Oregon game was a war. And they were so good. But – four-point game, but, you know, two games in a row, top free-throw shooters miss a free-throw in the last second for the other team, and to have it close like that against Purdue. Then they go to overtime, the play's made. Same thing at Auburn. Same thing against Texas Tech. Yeah, that that's remarkable. It makes for a, a great, great story. Well, Coach, you said it best. The uh, first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed, but the only number one seed to lose to a 16 seed and be the national champion <laughs> the next year. It's all Absolutely. about the redemption. Uh, Tony Bennett, thank you for stepping to the mic. We appreciate your time. Appreciate it, guys, and best of luck with this show. It's great, so I hope it goes great. Thanks a lot, Coach. Appreciate you. See you guys.